Appreciate the way you've joined in our song service tonight. Appreciate uh, the scripture reading tonight as well. You know, during his lifetime, Jesus Christ was asked many questions. He also provided the answer to many questions. He also was an individual who was full of wisdom. We know that uh, he was wise because of who he was. But I believe of all the questions that he asked, none is more significant than the question he asked his disciples when he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And there he said in Matthew 16 and verse 13, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That same question in slightly different words was asked on another occasion of a group of Pharisees. He asked the question, you know, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Matthew 22 and verse 42. Now this particular question was important to the disciples of our Lord and to the Pharisees as well. But this question, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Is of vital importance to those of us who live today. In fact, no question in the history of the world is so important because the answer that an individual gives to that question will ultimately determine where that person spends eternity. You know, many answers have been given to that question, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Some think of him as being one of the, the greatest teachers who ever lived and yet not being divine, only human. Others think that, you know, Jesus was a great prophet declaring the will of God, but he was not divine. I think all people agree that he's been the most influential figure in the history of the world. You know, many questions people have posed about Jesus Christ. For example, was he really divine? Was he all that he claimed to be? Was he, in fact, the Son of God? Was he born of a virgin? What do you think about his early life? What do you think about his ministry? What do you consider to be his purpose in coming into this world? What do you think of him as a teacher? What do you think of him as a physician? What do you think about his death? Do you believe that he is still living today as our mediator? Do you believe that he is preparing heavenly mansions for those who faithfully serve him? Now, what is the basis on which it might be possible to answer these questions? The only basis that I can think of is the terms of the record of how he lived. Based upon the testimony of those who knew him face to face. And so tonight I would like to maybe call as witnesses many of his own generation who knew him intimately. And I want to hear from their lips their testimony concerning Jesus Christ. I want you, if you can tonight, imagine that you are a juror. And you're listening to all the evidence. You're listening to the witnesses that we call tonight as they give their testimony in answer to the question, what do you think of Christ? 
I think in order to be absolutely fair in this regard tonight, we should call as witnesses, first of all, those individuals that would claim to be his enemies. You know, one occasion, the chief priest sent the temple officers to arrest Jesus Christ. These officers made a mistake of listening to our Lord for a time and the things that our Lord was saying to the multitudes. They were so impressed by what they heard that they could not bring themselves to arrest an individual who spoke in such a way. Instead, they returned to the chief priest empty-handed, and immediately they were asked, you know, why didn't you bring Jesus with you? Their only answer, John 7 verse 45, was never man so spake. Next, we might call the bitterest of his enemies the Pharisees. These men were the greatest enemies perhaps our Lord had. They hated him. What do these enemies the Pharisees have to say about Christ. Well, on one occasion, these Pharisees leveled at our Lord the charge, this man receives sinners. He eats with them, Luke 15 and verse 2. Much later, while he was on the cross, they would say, you know, he saved others. Himself he cannot save, Matthew 27 and verse 42. And one wonders whether either of these charges is so serious that it would merit a man's condemnation and crucifixion. Next, we ought to listen to the testimony of Caiaphas, who was the high priest during the time of the crucifixion and the man perhaps more than any other individual who called for and demanded the death of Jesus Christ. During the examination of Jesus Christ by this ruler, Jesus was asked the question, tell us, whether or not you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus answered him and said, You have said. Nevertheless, I say unto you that you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And at that point, the Bible says the high priest rent his clothes and said, This man has spoken blasphemy. Now, the only serious charge that Caiaphas, the high priest, could bring against Christ was that he claimed to be the Son of God, which is no false charge at all if it proves to be true. And we believe today that the overwhelming evidence of the life of Christ, his teachings, his miracles, his resurrection, all these things give us every reason to believe that Christ was the one that was correct, that he was all that he claimed to be, and Caiaphas was wrong. We might next call the Roman governor as our witness, who was stationed in Palestine during this very crucial time in our Lord's life. You know, after a full and complete examination, Pilate said about Jesus in Luke 23 and verse 4, I find no fault in this man. We might also think about the testimony of the wife of Pilate, who came to him in Matthew 27 and verse 19 and said to her husband, have nothing to do with this righteous man because I've suffered many things in a dream concerning him. 
We might want to now turn our attention to one who knew Jesus most intimately and whose behavior perhaps is most puzzling of all those that are connected with Jesus Christ. You know, Judas Iscariot had been one of the twelve for almost the entire public ministry of our Lord. He had heard the teachings of our Lord. He had seen the great miracles that our Lord performed. And yet Judas betrayed him in the garden with that hypocritical kiss. Now, was that the final verdict of Judas or was there another? You know, after Judas had seen our Lord arrested, after he had seen him give the semblance of mock trials and condemned to the cross, the conscience of Judas smote him. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver that he had received for our Lord's betrayal. And the Bible says that he went out into a field and he hanged himself. But just before Judas took his own life, he made this particular statement, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood, Matthew 27 and verse 4. Or consider the Roman centurion who was charged with the responsibility of doing the actual crucifying of our Lord. The Roman centurion was so impressed with the phenomena that accompanied the crucifixion of our Lord on the cross that he uttered those words in Matthew 27, truly this man was the son of God. In fact, one of the thieves who was crucified by our Lord said, you are in fact who you claim to be. He said, this man has done nothing Amiss. And then we might call as our last witness among the enemies of our Lord the devils themselves, who said, Jesus, you son of the most high God, Luke 8 and verse 28. You know, perhaps their testimony, since it's to the glory of God, is most significant. But now I want to change gears just a little bit. And I want to turn to those who weren't his enemies, but those who knew our Lord more intimately and were as close to him, perhaps, as anybody could be, his friends, his disciples. You know, the first witness we might call would be John the Baptist, the forerunner, the announcer of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to keep in mind that John had much to lose as far as this world is concerned by proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah. And even though it meant his own decline, even though it meant the overnight fading of his tremendous popularity, John still said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. John said, he that is Jesus must increase and I must decrease. John 3 and verse 30. As our next witness, we call Simon Peter. Of course, Simon Peter on the night of our Lord's betrayal denied strongly with an oath that he knew who even Jesus Christ was. And yet 50 days later, we know that Peter preached that first sermon on the day of Pentecost and in Acts 2 and verse 36, Peter affirmed 
God hath made this same Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. The Apostle John, many years after our Lord's death, came to account, came to write his account of our Lord's life. And he began that writing with the words of John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you consider, if you will, the Apostle Thomas, who had been absent on the first day of the week after our Lord's resurrection, when he appeared unto ten of the apostles. And when those apostles told Thomas that they had seen the resurrected Lord, Thomas didn't believe. Thomas said, unless I can put my fingers into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I won't believe. One week later, Thomas was present when the Lord appeared unto those apostles. And after seeing the Lord, after knowing he was in fact alive, Thomas made the statement, my Lord and my God. And then you think about some who perhaps were not so closely associated with Jesus. You think about the men of Decapolis. You know, Jesus had come to their territory east of the Galilee. He preached, he worked miracles, and then he departed. And their verdict in Mark 7, verse 37 about Jesus was, He has done all things well. And of course, you consider Saul of Tarsus. A great persecutor of Christians who was converted and became the great apostle to the Gentiles. So deep was Paul's conversion that Paul would say in Philippians 3 and verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things and to count them but refuse that I may gain Christ. And when Paul wrote that young preacher, Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We next call the angels of heaven themselves, who at the birth of Jesus Christ into this world, and Luke 2 and verse 10 said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And in the very final book of the Bible, we observe in Revelation 5 and verse 12 that the redeemed of all ages cry, Worthy is the Lamb which hath been slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And blessings. Then finally, we hear the testimony of God Himself, who in Matthew 3 and verse 17 said, Behold, the Lamb of God, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
Those words were spoken not only by John the Baptist, but when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that was spoken right after our Lord had been baptized. And later in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, when our Lord was transfigured before three of his disciples, they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased Hear ye him. Now tonight we've listened to the testimony of the enemies of Christ, who in the final analysis of things, if you look at it, were able to say nothing evil concerning him, but really only that which was to his honor. I think even more significantly, we've listened to the testimony of those who were his intimate disciples and followers. And these individuals literally gave their lives as martyrs in order to testify that Jesus was raised from the dead. They gave their lives to testify that his miracles were true and genuine and that Jesus was in fact all that he claimed to be. These men were willing to sacrifice reputation, goods, and life itself rather than to abandon that conviction that Jesus was the Son of God. And so as you are a juror, and as you examine all the evidence, I think from the evidence and the evidence alone, it's our conviction that the divinity of Jesus Christ is well established by the facts. You consider the testimony of his contemporaries. You think about the influence that his life has had on not only his own generation, but every generation since that time. These things prove that Jesus was no mere man. Tonight... You need to understand that your salvation depends upon what you believe about Jesus Christ. Your salvation tonight depends on what you think about Christ. You know, after Philip preached to that Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus Christ, when that eunuch was ready to become a Christian, His ability to do that hinged on one thing. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Bible says he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so you see, his salvation and our salvation depends on the belief that Jesus is divine. Because you see, out of that belief comes the other requirements that we must obey in order to be saved. That's why we need to be willing to make known our faith. If we're not Christians, that means that we respond the way the eunuch did. We're willing to put on our Lord in baptism. And then we are to live for him and glorify him by everything that we think and say and do. And so I close tonight by asking you the question, what 
do you really think of Jesus Christ? How are you proving what you believe is actually true in your life? Have you been faithful to him? Are you putting him first in your life? Tonight we're going to sing a song of encouragement. It may be that you need to make your life right tonight. You may even need to obey the gospel even this evening. If you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.